It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Three tonight. 
Donovan, catch and shoot three, left side, perfect. Welcome into the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing great out there. A lot of fun last night here in the local sports scene. Eric putting together a nice montage there of all the happenings. I'm Jay Catch. Eric Jensen behind the glass with us today here on the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing great out there wherever you guys might be. Quick reminder for you guys that our uh, show, the Saturday show, is brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, agricultural irrigation, excuse me, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. A bit of an inversion-type day here along the Wasatch Front, but Eric, it sounds like there is weather coming in next week, so maybe we have our first uh, real snow of the year coming up uh, early next week. Hurrah. (laughs) Are you a snow guy by and large? You know, you kind of... I like skiing... Mm-hmm. But that's basically the only use I have. Okay, so fair enough. Right. I, I, uh, let me just say, I like it when it happens. After it happens, I don't, I don't like the aftermath. Okay. I, I, I don't, it's too bright outside when the <laughs> sun shines down on it. When it melts, it gets all gross and gray and it terrible does. looking yep. in the middle of the January. It, yeah. And it's just like, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge... Like snow would be perfect if it if snowstorms happened mm-hmm. and then the day after it's like seventy degrees and it all melts away. Okay. Like that that's so that's the best kind the of just, stuff. The just the gist I'm getting from you is you're you're the guy that's snow in the mountains but not in the valley. Is that what we're getting at? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I'm I'm kinda Promote with you on that. tourism. <laughs> Best snow on earth, baby. Absolutely. But hope you guys are doing great out there. Uh, it's a fun Saturday. you got plenty to talk about on today's show. Of course, going to be very heavy on football. University of Utah, the Pac-12 champions, on their way to the Rose Bowl. They'll be spending New Year's in Pasadena, California. Not a, way, not a bad way to do it. Set some history in the process. We're also going to talk about the Utah Jazz, which I consider last night's victory over the Boston Celtics maybe their most impressive win of the season. We'll get into that. We'll also talk about soccer. Real Salt Lake, their Cinderella run uh, towards MLS Cup is uh, still going. They're going to be playing in the Western Conference Finals this afternoon. We'll talk about that. And obviously, we got Utah State taking on San Diego State in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. That'll be on our airwaves here on the Zone Sports Network. Uh, pre-game coverage starting immediately after this show at noon. Kickoff in that game from Carson, California is at 1 o'clock. Scott Gerard, Kevin White will be on the call for that. So, We'll just call this the pre-pre-game show for Utah State. How about that, Eric? That's fine. <laughs> I I obviously am excited, very excited for that game. And uh, yeah, I'm a you know I'm a fan of calling this for pre-pre-game show. You know, we'll just have some fun along the way. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. So without further ado, let's get to one of our staples here, and let's get into what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
still love that open and never get old. Thank you to Will Ferrell for very important. his many gifts uh, to the cinematic universe, but that might be right up there among the best he's ever given us. All right, so what's the big deal today? Let's start off on the football front. University of Utah, as you heard in our open coming into the show, they are the champions of the Pac-12, winning in dominant fashion, 38-10 to over the Oregon Ducks. Uh, the rematch, 13 days apart, and Utah just took it right to Oregon. Uh, the Ducks, I know that they, what, Three weeks ago, we're in the college football playoff conversation. They have fallen quickly, and I am not going to be surprised to see them on the back half of the top 25 when those uh, final college football playoff rankings come out tomorrow. My question is, because Utah, obviously, by virtue of winning the Pac-12 title, has punched their ticket to Pasadena. They are going to the Rose Bowl, folks. Celebrate that. What an incredible accomplishment for this program. Uh, the crazy thing about this, and Eric, I don't know if they was, it talked about on the postgame show. I didn't hear it when I was listening to my, the part of the postgame show I heard about it. Arizona has been in the Pac-12 for 43 years. They have never gone to the Rose Bowl. Utah has been in the Pac-12 now for 11 seasons and just punched their ticket to the Rose Bowl. It's an absolutely incredible accomplishment that should not be glossed over by anybody in this state. Yeah, I mean, hand up. I'm a student there. Sure. I was was very happy. Uh... But yeah, I mean, it is an incredible accomplishment to see, you know, and everybody might say, well, oh, the Pac-12 is down this year. Sure. People might say, oh, USC, look out next year. They're going to awaken and this isn't going to be this way for Utah anymore. (laughs) But this is it. This is this is the biggest win since Utah joined the Pac-12. This is, you know, them cementing themselves as a true, you know, I, I would argue this cements them as a true national power. Maybe not on the level of some other conferences, obviously, but out West, they are the best football team in the Western United States. This is what this championship means. It means that you are the best between the Mountain West, the WAC. You know, the WAC doesn't exist anymore. But hey, it exists. It's just at the FCS level now. Yeah. Um, you're... You're just the best in the West, and, you know, it's a huge accomplishment that they won it, and there are schools that still haven't won it, and those schools will eventually win it. But this is a really important win for Utah because you can also sell this to recruits and people, especially with the way a guy like Devin Lloyd played last night. I thought this was one of the most prescient comments made by Hans and Scotty on on the post game last night was that this is the moment where you look at Utah and you say, okay, this is an NFL factory. Like the nation can realize that this is an NFL factory because you see Devin Lloyd come back and commit to Utah and not go out for the draft. And after the performance he had last night, the buzz I see from people I follow in the draft community is that he's likely a top 15 pick. Locked. Locked in. And that's what Kyle Whittingham said. He said top, top, top 10 to 12 yeah. of this coming NFL draft. Locked in. And he he's probably the best linebacker in the country. He sees that. You know, other kids see that. And then you see just the tremendous youth and talent that this team has. And, you know, Devin Lloyd's not going to be the last one. I think the next one is Cole Bishop. Sure. I, I really yeah. do think the next one is Cole Bishop because – the way he played last night was absolutely incredible. One of the best safety performances I've ever seen. Um, he is 
just an electric playmaker and I, I, I think can be a real staple for the defense moving forward, not to mention Nate Ritchie's going to come back at some point, and that's going to be a really tremendous duo. And then you have Clark Phillips, who had a tremendous year as well. He's going to be a guy next year that garners a lot of interest. And, and what that does for you know college kids is it says, hey, look at, look at, look at these guys at Utah. Sure, it's, it's not Georgia. It's not Alabama. You're not on this national spotlight all the time. But Kyle Whittingham is one of the best coaches in the country at getting you pro-ready, and, and I think that that's also a huge part of this game. But, you know, obviously the biggest thing is, you know, they win a Pac-12 title, and this is the first time that's ever happened, and it's, it's just a great thing for the University of Utah. It is, and it just it, it kind of it, – it's – it's the crowning achievement of Kyle Whittingham's coaching career. It's kind of the one thing that's eluded him to this point is winning the Pac-12 title, getting that Rose Bowl berth, and they're going to celebrate that. It's going to be a ton of fun to see them get their opportunity to go down to Pasadena New Year's Day. Anybody who's been to the Rose Bowl, to that venue, and has seen that game on New Year's Day knows what that's all about. And I, I for one, I look forward to it. It's going to be a ton of fun it's going to be a big time celebration down there i'm expecting a ton of utah fans to be at that game uh expecting and we'll see what happens with this i would expect it's ohio state that ends up playing utah in that game but there is a chance that a team like iowa could be your opponent but it doesn't really matter it's not it's not about the opponent in that game it's the fact that you've accomplished that you are playing in the granddaddy of them all you are playing in the bowl game that everybody who's anybody out there looks at and says Okay, that's pretty cool. I I, I want to play in that game. That's that's what I look at about this. That's what the accomplishment is here. This is absolutely incredible what Utah has done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing it does if if you want to look at a very broad scope is it sets you up in a way that if you do play Ohio State at the end of this year, if you do end up keeping it close or getting a win against Ohio State, or I think even if they lose, they're going to finish a top 15 team in the college football playoff rankings. Like they, yeah. they will have a lot of people returning, and they will start next year in the top 15 of the college football rankings. And then you look towards next year, and the aspirations you can look and they, they change a little bit mm-hmm. because if you bring back Cam Rising, if you bring back, you know, you're going to lose your tight ends. That's going to hurt, but you can you can reload at that position. If you can convince, you know, some of your running backs to come back and, and, and keep that running game strong in that offensive line, good. I think that next year you're talking about Utah going into the year if they ha- as a team – that one is going to play Florida. That's going to be a huge game. And if if they get out-of-conference wins and they start the year hot and they can repeat the kind of performance they had against the Pac-12, and especially if they can get a win against Lincoln Riley's version of USC, which is going to be highly ranked and much ballyhooed, you are going to be a national playoff contender. Sure. And that's kind of the next step from here. And I think they had to win this game for that to be in play 
right away next year, but I think especially if they win the Rose Bowl, they're going to finish in the top 10 in the nation, and they're going to start next year within the top 15, and that gives you an excellent position to be vying for a playoff spot. Yeah, and that, that's that's probably the likely uh, thing. Is that they're going to start the year next year very highly rated. There's no doubt about that. And the interesting part is they're going to be playing Florida to open that season. So there's a lot to talk about in the offseason with regards to 2022 for the Utah Utes, but it does not diminish anything that they have accomplished this year, especially considering they started that season 1-2, and two, have rallied now. They are the Pac-12 champions and on their way to Pasadena to play in that Rose Bowl game. I Man, I'm as geeked as anybody for that. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. But let's uh, switch topics here, switch gears for a little bit and talk about the Utah Jazz. And the Utah Jazz last night got a huge win over the Boston Celtics, winning at 137 to 130. Uh, I'm going to guess that there was a, probably a number of sports fans in this state who were glued in uh, to that Utah game, and for good reason. Let me be clear about that. But maybe didn't see this Utah Jazz game against the Boston Celtics. It was here at Vivint Arena, the final game of a lengthy, lengthy homestand for the Utah Jazz, and they win it 137-130. to This was one of the more entertaining games that you will see in regular season NBA action. Uh, if you did not get a chance to watch it, if you have a DVR, you DVR'd the game. This is a game to go back and watch because I had both going. I had dual screens. If you saw my Twitter feed last night, uh, my son was watching, or my, excuse me, my children were watching Paw Patrol on the main TV, Eric. This is total dad life right here moment. Dad they're, life. They're watching Paw Patrol on the main TV. Meanwhile, I'm running du- dual iPads watching uh, the Utah dual Oregon screen game. action. Dual screen, but on iPads while the Utah screen <laughs> action while the Utah Jazz are on the other iPad. But both of those games highly entertaining. This has to be maybe the best win for the Utah Jazz of their season. And I understand that Boston came into this game uh, sitting at 12-10. and 10. They have not had a great season to this point, but they were pretty much loaded with regards to who they had available in this game. The only person that was not available was Jalen Brown, but Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Williams III, Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, they had their big guns for Boston in this game. The Utah Jazz were coming off a, a, a lengthy spell, relatively, of rest. They had not played since Monday night. And the Utah Jazz started this game really, really hot. It was fun to see Mike Conley go out. He hit three three-pointers early on in this game. He finished the game 7-of-7 seven seven from beyond the arc, 29 points. Donovan Mitchell... What a great performance once again. 12 of 22 from the field, 34 points. I believe he led all scores in that game. Yeah, he did. Oh, no, excuse me. Uh, Jason Tatum led all scores with 37 points. My apologies on that. But he led the Jazz with 34 points. The more impressive thing to me about this victory is that the Jazz had moments where they probably could have uh, put Boston away, it felt like, in this game. But for whatever reason, they did not do that. And Boston hung tough with them. And then Boston takes a lead late, uh, about four minutes to go, if I recall correctly have a four-point lead, and it seemed like things were at a little bit of a tipping point at that point. And that is when Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley went to work. They scored, if I'm not wrong, the last 21 points in a row for the Utah Jazz. Big three-pointers, just big buckets when the Jazz needed them. And the Jazz get a hard-fought 137-130 to victory, and this was an incredible game. The Jazz shot 27-51 to from beyond the arc, a 52.9% shooting percentage. And you would think... When you shoot that well from beyond the arc, you're going to boat race a team by 30 points. And that's a credit to Boston in this game. They hung tough. They made the Jazz work for everything they got. And I came away super impressed. Eric, did you get a chance to see any of this game? 
Yeah, I saw a little bit here and there peeking over to the other control room to to catch some of this. When you score 27 three-pointers, you're probably going to win the game. Well, you should. And, (laughs) you know, the Jazz, obviously, the three-point shooting hasn't been there a ton throughout the first little part of the season. But if they get back to that, they're a very dangerous team. And I just keep coming back to, I, I know people probably don't like me for it, but if you're worrying about a, a team, the caliber of the Jazz in November, if you're freaking out in in November, just stop. Stop freaking out <laughs> hey, in November. It's, it's December, stop, Eric. Stop freaking out in November. Stop freaking out in December. It doesn't really matter because the Jazz are so good that as long as they remain a few games above 500, which they will through most of the season. They're 15-7 right now. Even if they lose some games here and there, maybe they'll lose two straight, maybe they'll lose a fluky game to the Magic, they'll make the playoffs, and that's all that matters this season is get to the playoffs and prove that you can be a playoff team. Because, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. You look at the Clippers last year. The Clippers were a five seed. Mm-hmm. They beat the Jazz. You look at the Milwaukee Bucks, the NBA title champions. They were not the one seed going into the playoffs. Seeding in the NBA right now doesn't matter. There's a lot of parity within the league. That that wasn't the case a few years ago. And, you know, this year it doesn't look like anyone but the Warriors are going to get that one seed. They're a very talented basketball team. But... I think it's very promising that the Jazz do this. They never get into a slide. If things go poorly for them, it's always just one or two games, and then things change up, and they're fine. I think that level of consistency where you can say there's always this base level where they're good enough to beat most teams on an NBA night, especially a team like the Celtics who aren't, you know, to be fair, not very good. Sure. Um, They have a solid enough baseline to get down at home by 10 points or more to the Trailblazers and come back. They're a resilient team. They're built to handle this, this kind of difficulty, and they're an experienced team. And that's just why... You know, the collective freak out from fans and, and media like after some of these, you know, weird November games just really, you know, is a pet peeve of mine because they are a fine team. They are a very talented team. They are going to make the NBA playoffs. And it's just a matter of how you play when you get there. But I think wins like last night where you have to battle adversity, where you have to come back a little bit, where you have to stay in a game with a team, those are good playoff practice. And I think the Jazz got a really nice win last night. They did. I don't know. Am I crazy to feel that way? No, I don't think so. I I think the biggest thing is the Jazz, yeah, did did they scuffle along there for about a six-game stretch? Yes, they did. But they've righted the ship. That's the nice part is I I think that – their low point came when they lost. Uh, there's that back-to-back set that they had against. Uh, now I'm forgetting. The I team. think it was the Heat and the Magic. <laughs> that, that, okay, that's one of the low points as well. I'm talking about. The, oh, so it was, the, it was the Pelicans back-to-back here at Vivint Arena. Right. You lose that game, 98 to 97. You had no business losing that game. New Orleans is awful, 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 awful. I will. I will 
reiterate that multiple times. You lose that game, I think the Jazz all of a sudden were like, holy smokes, we are losing games that we cannot afford to lose. And since then, they have taken off. They crushed the Pelicans the but next night. But can't they afford to lose it? <sighs> I mean, there are so many games that was above a... 500. The Western Conference at the bottom's kind of a jumbled mess of mediocrity. Like, they're going to finish as a top four seed. Yeah, they but just that w- have the talent. But that was a four-win team. That New Orleans team is yeah, horrendous. But it's like, it's sort of like the NHL. You know, you have these weird results from night to night. It's unpredictable. It's 82 games, Jake. I don't really think it matters that much. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't, but that I felt like that Pelicans lost. When they lost that game, uh, Devontae Graham hits that three, and the Jazz fall 98-97. Since then, the Jazz have gone on an absolute tear. 127-105 yeah. to 105 the next night against the Pelicans. They crushed the Trailblazers 129-107. to 107. And then last night, they beat the Celtics 137-130. to 130. Now they go out on the road for a four-game set, opening up tomorrow against the Cavaliers, 1.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Tip here, uh, not here, it'll be there in Cleveland. And the Cavaliers... It's a little juice early in the season. Yeah, Evan, solid Evan Mobley, the USC uh, fr- very good, the re- USC rookie, very good kid can play. So this four game set will be very impre- very important to see what the Utah Jazz do as they go out on the road. They've been home for quite a while now, and obviously they'll be trying to make it uh, at least. I think this road trip. We'll dig in more into this. I think they need to go 3-1 and one on this road trip. We'll dig more into that later on in today's show. But coming up in just a moment, we'll continue on here talking college football. Obviously, we'll be waiting bowl destinations for BYU. Of course, Utah State will kind of figure out where they're going to go with the result of the Mountain West Conference Championship game today. We'll preview all of that more on Utah and their triumph in the Pac-12 title game. Just a lot more to come right here on the Saturday show. Brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply on the Zone Sports Network. Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Jay Catch, Eric Jensen along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Hope you all are doing great out there. A reminder for you guys that the Saturday show is brought to you by our title sponsor, Mountainland Supply. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Great sponsor here on the station overall. And appreciate them being a patron of this fine program. Hope you all are doing great out there wherever you might be, whether you're driving around, uh, getting the honey-do list done, no matter what it might be. Thank you for making some time on your Saturday to join us here. And let's dive back in and talk a little more a little more about Utah here and their triumph in the Pac-12 title game last night. The biggest thing for me in this game was that are we sure Oregon doesn't have a better option at quarterback? Anthony Brown ain't it, folks. And that's nothing against Utah. They went out and absolutely dominated, but if Oregon is going to rely on quarterbacks the like uh, the likes of Anthony Brown moving forward, yeah, they may want to 
man, I, I don't know. I, I just look at that and say, you are going to fall flat if you're going to rely on guys like Anthony Brown to win you football games. Yeah, he was, uh, kids say, woof. I mean, the, the guy, I mean, that interception that he throws right before half, that's art. Oh, yeah. That like, was... <laughs> like, that what? might have been, okay. And what, we, what are you doing there? Okay, so 13 days previous to that, Oregon decided they wanted to play ball and try and make something happen, and they punt the ball away, and we have the the crazy punt return touchdown right. for Britton Covey. Well, they have the ball late. They're trying to get something going, and Anthony Brown literally leaps in the air going out of bounds and he's throws going it. out he's got the most incredible part of that play is he actually has like one foot out of bounds uh-huh. all he has to do is just tuck the ball and take the loss take the punt mm-hmm. and get out of there but he just decides to fling it not even out of bounds no like back into the field of play back into the middle of the field basically and, and that's where Malone Mateele is oh. waiting yeah Malone Mateele is like sweet Thanks. Why? Just a wild play. <laughs> and the funny thing was, his interception earlier on that was the pick six to Devin Lloyd, what a lackadaisical and awful decision that was by him. So there is so much to look at in this game. But, man, if that's who Oregon's going to put out at quarterback, yeah, Utah, you, you just go and celebrate the fact that you've got a Pac-12 title to your name now. That was an incredibly, I don't know, Asinine decision by Oregon not to try somebody else. Uh, Ty Thompson, if I recall correctly, is their backup quarterback. He is a highly rated four-star prospect out of the Arizona level. If you tell me that he cannot do better than what we saw from Anthony Brown last night, well, um, by Mario Cristobal, maybe moving Miami is the best option here. Or you could just hit the transfer portal. He is a transfer portal guy. You brought him in from Boston College. Yeah, but you made a mistake going for Boston College quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, there are misses all the time. I mean, if Cam Rising doesn't exist, we're having this same conversation about Utah and their misses, like because Charlie Brewer was a miss. I mean, this is going to happen in the transfer portal. People are going to get sucked in by experience, and sometimes the quarterbacks aren't going to work out. But Utah at least realized their mistake in Game 3 of the season at San Diego State inserts Cameron Rising, and we all know what the outcome of that was. Oregon, all year long, and Anthony Brown did win that game at Ohio State. Great. But you got it. You, you can't tell me that Ty Thompson, who is a four-star prospect, you guy that you have trumpeted as being the future, you can't tell me after that just horrendous second interception. The first interception was bad. The second one, as you said, it was a work of art for him to be going out of bounds and throw that ball directly to Malomata But uh, for him to do that, and then you just run him back out there in the second half, that's either an indictment against your coaching staff, or that's an indictment that Ty Thompson is not who you thought he was when you signed him out of out of the high school ranks as a four star prospect. Yeah, no, you're right on both those. You're right on both those points. I just feel like I don't know. Sometimes you just Oregon just got demoralized. They did. They did. Like at that point, I I you know. You expected them to come out in the second half with a little bit of fight, and they didn't. To me, that game, the end result shocked me. I I did not expect Utah 
to dominate from start to finish Why not? the way they did. I just thought that, well, one, I thought Mario, maybe I just had blinders on. I thought Mario Cristobal was a better head coach. I thought, you know, he would have come in with a much better game plan. And I thought there would have been some pride on that defense, at least, from how they got bullied last week. And, you know, say, hey, we got to step up. Our offense might not be there. But I at least expected some sort of a defensive shootout. But, I mean, it, it, it was a truly shocking, like score-wise, a truly shocking result. I, I, I did not expect Utah to do that again just because I thought Oregon would have, frankly, more pride than they did. And, and, they, and they just didn't. I'm with you on that. And the funny thing is, a lot of people were wondering, okay, what type of Oregon is going to show up in this game? We saw the Oregon that showed up against Utah here in Salt Lake City once again in Las Vegas. I don't get it. And one thing I will say about Oregon is I am a huge fan of Noah Sewell. I have loved that kid from the time he was in the high school ranks here at Utah, uh, here in Utah, playing at Orem High School. He was an absolute warrior out there. He got injured last week against Oregon State, and there was some question if he was going to play. What does he go out and do? 12 total tackles, 8 of them solo, 1 tackle for loss. That And after the game, you could see he was visibly limping. He was beat up. That kid's an absolute warrior. And it was it was fun to see the Sewell family there at Allegiant Stadium. Nephi, uh, to his credit, on, the, on Utah's side of things, four total tackles, three of them solo for him in that game. But I came away from that. I actually thought Oregon's defense, they, they tried to hang in there. But only certain guys, if that makes sense. I felt like yeah. Verone McKinley played well. I thought the Kayvon Thibodeau had his moments. Noah Sewell, I, I got nothing against that young man. But I'm with you. I, For some reason, there is something about Oregon when they take on these, these two games they played against Utah. They did not answer the bell in any way, shape, or form. And I mean, I don't think you can blame the players a ton either. You got to blame that defensive coaching staff because what did they do all game long? What did they do all first half? They went after the zone coverage, mm-hmm. they threw to the tight ends, and they marched down the field through the middle of the the field. They said, okay, you're going to load the box. We're going to run a bunch of RPOs. We're going to throw against your linebackers and put them in tough positions. And they came out and they did the exact same thing in the second half. Nothing changed. No schemes changed. Oregon still loaded the box and focused on stopping the run while Cam Rising just kind of dinked and dunked his way down the field for touchdowns. I think it it's more of an indictment on this coaching staff than it is for any of the players on, on that team. There, there was no game plan changes in that second half. It was terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I guess we should say congratulations are in order for Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator for Oregon. He's been officially named the head coach of the Akron Zips at the MAC. Uh, so congratulations to him. He's back as a head coach. Previously head coach at both Fordham as well as Mississippi State, which Mississippi State tenure did not go well at all. But he has got a new job, and... The, all, all eyes are kind of on Mario Cristobal right now. Is he going to go home to Miami? This is a guy who played at the University of Miami during their glory years, and he has worked all over the country. He actually led FIU to some of their best years they've ever had in their program history. He's a South Florida native. Does he decide, okay, I've done what I can do at Oregon. Does he move on? That'll be a huge question mark to see how that ultimately uh, shakes out here. As, as the offseason kind of is here for Oregon. And there's huge question marks. He, he, as you probably heard him in the postgame last week, well, Oregon's working on some things for me, but that's about as much as I know right now. Well, that's a real, you know, 
saying one thing or uh, he he kept everything nebulous. He is not get, leaning one way or the other. It seems like, and that indicates to me that he may very well be talking to Miami about potentially bolting Eugene and heading back to South Beach. Dad's in the transfer portal. <laughs> did you watch that video, by yeah, the way? Yeah, I did. Anybody who has not seen that, uh, I, I got to find who the creator of that was. But uh, they did, like, dad upgrading, like, moving on from a, to a new family uh, as if it were the, a college head coach in terms of getting a new job, and that was absolutely classic. The The adoption portal? yeah. I'm heading to be adopted. So funny. All right. Anyway, so congratulations to Utah. I, let's finish off this segment talking about the Utes because we've talked a lot about Oregon here, but Utah, they deserve everything that's been coming to them. They rallied around one another. They start off the season one and two. The coaching staff realized their mistake at the quarterback position. They insert Cam Rising, and from game four on, they just absolutely took off. Sands, that one game up there in Corvallis were the Oregon State Beavers, who, by the way, if Oregon's going to play like this, Oregon State's got to be sitting there thinking, why couldn't you let us win the battle for the platypus and let us play down in Las Vegas? We put a better game against Utah than right. you guys did. But That would have been a fascinating game. It would have been a fascinating game. It would have been another rematch, but obviously Utah did lose that game. But this should not diminish anything that Utah has accomplished here. And any of you who are bitter BYU fans, Utah State fans, or just Utah haters, get off of it. This isn't a huge accomplishment for the University of Utah. This is one of the things that Utah has set out to do from the time they entered the Pac-12, and they've accomplished it in just over a decade. It's absolutely incredible what Kyle Whittingham has done with this program. You cannot take anything away from him. He, in my opinion, I saw somebody put this out on Twitter last night. Uh, they asked, well, is he going to be a college football Hall of Famer? Why wouldn't he be? He, for his playing career, he's a former WAC Defensive Player of the Year. He's been at Utah since 1994. He got them uh, to both. They were the original BCS Busters in 2004 playing in that Fiesta Bowl. 2008, they played the Sugar Bowl and absolutely obliterate Alabama and Nick Saban. That's about as impressive a performance I can remember in uh, Utah football history. And then he gets hit them into the Pac-12, goes through the early bumps and bruises, the back-to-back five and seven seasons where, trust me, there were plenty, plenty of people out there wondering if he was going to keep his job. Utah decides, you know what, we're going to stick with this guy. And what does he do? He rewards them with a Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl berth in just over a decade of being in this conference. He is a college football Hall of Famer. There is no doubt about it. You can build the statue now up there at the University of Utah. Kyle Whittingham is the greatest coach in Utah football history. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something you said okay. about, about people being bitter. I, I would just like to make a short soliloquy before we go to break. Okay. Here. A soliloquy. All right. We are in the golden age of football in the state of Utah. That, that is where we are. Mm -hmm. If you are a BYU fan, if you feel like, you know, oh, we beat Utah, you are right. You you just you beat the Pac-12 champion. So – by transitive properties, congrats to BYU on your Pac-12 championship, of course. So that's how things work now, I'm, I'm told. <laughs> so, so I think that it's huge right now in the state of Utah. In all seriousness, you look at BYU, you just had a 10-2 and two season. You dominated most of your Power 5 opponents on your schedule. And you're moving to the Big 12. You had a tremendous season. To me, this was a championship year for BYU. I will treat it as such. And there's still an outside chance they can make the power, the New Year's Six. Absolutely. And you look at Utah State. No one expected them 
to be in this game today. Everyone thought they were going to suck. I repeat, <laughs> suck. People thought you were going to suck if you were a Utah State fan. You did not. You found one of the best coaches in the country in Blake Anderson, and now you have a chance to win a Mountain West title a year after your head coach resigned and most of your team quit. That's amazing. And Utah, you just won your Pac-12 championship. I am so tired of people here being like, oh, I hate Utah all the time. Stop. Stop it. I love BYU when they're not playing Utah. I love Utah State when they're not playing football. You know how entirely disrespected this market is as a whole in sports in general? Have each other's backs as fans is what I'm saying right now. Get out there and be proud that this state is one of the best states of college football in the nation right now. And no one's going to talk about Utah on Monday morning, and no one's going to talk about BYU, and no one's going to talk about Utah State. And that's a darn shame, because they should, because this is one of the best states for college football in the nation right now, and we are heading into a point where this state's going to have two Power 5 teams, a very competitive Mountain West team, and two Power 5 teams that are going to be competing for championships on a year-to-year basis. Utah and BYU are top 30 programs in the nation right now. Yeah. That's just a fact. Like, take a minute and enjoy that. This should be a celebration, people. You know, don't tear each other down. Pat each other on the back. We live in the freaking greatest state in the United States for college football. That's just the way it is, guys. You're you running for president right now? I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. You know, no, but you got a point. The funny thing about this is if Utah State uh, beats San Diego State today, Eric, we will have three 10-win teams in the state. We'll have 30 wins between these programs. I'm with you. I actually really like that. Celebrate what's happening in this state. Don't go after each other. Let's celebrate it. Good call. All right, coming up next, we will get to technical fouls where we will flip flip what we just did on its head and talk about the bad things in sports. We'll get to that next right here on The Saturday Show. You're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet. That's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a blast. Cause that's a technical foul. You won't feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal foul, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network, rounding out the first hour of the program with our staple here on this show, and that is technical fouls. And I'm going straight to the obvious one here, Eric, and we're going to the NBA, and we're going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I know that they are tanking. I know that. They have stockpiled, it feels like, a million first-round draft picks. They are going to try and rebuild through the draft, which 
I have my own quibbles with because I think rebuilding through the draft, it's so hit or miss that for every Philadelphia it feels like, where Philadelphia didn't hit on everybody, they got Joel Embiid, they got Ben Simmons, which apparently that's not all hunky-dory, but trying to rebuild through the draft is just a total crapshoot, and they have stockpiled all kinds of first-round draft picks. But for you guys, speaking of the Oklahoma City Thunder, to go out and lose 152 to 79, that is a margin of defeat of 73 points, an NBA record for the margin of defeat. And for the Memphis Grizzlies, it's an NBA record for the margin of victory. And also they set a franchise record with 152 points in that win. But what a horrendous, horrendous showing by OKC. As the kids say. Woof. Shame on you. Shame on your family. Shame Woof. on all of y'all. Just awful. Yikes. Technical foul on Oklahoma City. And I get it. I get that they are trying to rebuild this team from the ground up. But ugh, just no. No, 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 no. We're not. No. All right. Um, Other things here. Baseball. I get what. Oh, oh sorry, Eric. I fired you had one. Go ahead. Not fires <laughs> off. Let me get into character. All right. You know what? My, my dear gracious me, I might just have the vapors back here. I just think, you know, number one, I'd like to thank my family for letting me come out here today and produce this Saturday show. But my technical file, it's going to Brian Kelly. Now, Brian Kelly, he's one of these hunky-dory Midwestern, you know, Midwesterners coming coming from Notre Dame and big old Indiana. He ain't even a Midwesterner, but that's okay. And and he's coming down here to to Tahoma, Louisiana, but to have the goal to step on our basketball court and talk to us in a southern drawl. Well, my goodness, my gracious, I, I... I cannot believe what I am seeing in this this act of stupidity from him. He is just incredible. Why would you ever fake an accent like that? I am just truly disappointed, and I hope his family, you know, takes care of him, and and he can get the help he needs because we don't need these northern carpetbaggers coming down to, to LSU and, and taking on our southern heritage and, and faking accents because who would ever fake an accent? It's just a terrible thing. It's he's just got, a terrible thing. He's got 95 million reasons to fake, fake that accent, let's be clear. His family <laughs> is very important to him. Very important. Yeah, apparently his man. That was that was tough. Apparently his assistants don't think so either, though. Like that was tough. That was very very tough. I cannot imagine a, a lot of LSU people were were very happy with a that. guy from Massachusetts who coached in the Midwest suddenly showing up and saying y'all had me like, hold on, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, Brian Kelly. That might not be it. Yeah, that that was not it. Let's be very clear. Right, we're gonna leave on that. By the way, Eric. You actually have a pretty good Southern accent. Let's be clear about that. Ah, thanks, Style. All right. You're welcome. All right. We'll get to hour two of the Saturday show coming up next. We'll hear from Kyle Whittingham as well as Quinn Snyder, the head coaches of the University of Utah and Utah Jazz, respectively, after their big wins last night. We'll also get into Saki a little later on and, of course, getting you ready for Utah State and San Diego State coming up. Pre-game coverage of that beginning at noon here on the Zone Sports Network. Some more in a moment. This is the Saturday show brought to you by Mountainland Supply on 97.5 FM. 1280 AM and the Zone Sports 